This is Yelena with 23T, a podcast that dedicates itself to learning about the real lives of up-and-coming artists who are pursuing their passion as their career. This platform creates a community of creatives who share their stories to serve other arts workers. If you're striving towards your dreams, you're bound to learn something from this podcast on how to achieve them by creating your own opportunity. Feeling really overwhelmed. and felt like I was kind of in a race where I can find myself like find what I want to do find if I like what I do maybe there will be five people at one of my shows but maybe one of those five people needs specifically what I bring to the table like people feel safe to grow here and they don't feel judged I'm okay with knowing that it's like a steady incline towards where we're trying to get to you're broadening your own human experiences by just empathizing and connecting with people I just have this thing where I need to get up and I need to do it just because you're a really great artist doesn't mean that you'll be successful in the industry because I've had the cell phone shut off a couple times I've had my internet shut off I've had like an apple for dinner like if we can help people mm-hmm. and it's just like the idea of like just being kind if no one's opening a door do exactly what you've done with this podcast and go go make your own door okay so welcome back to 23t welcome back to the interview portion of the podcast we are still in quarantine, so I'm still keeping up with these Zoom uh, interviews, which is a good thing. I'm mm-hmm. happy about it. I'm happy that it's a thing and that the quality isn't terrible. So, I mean, I do look forward to being able to meet people in person again because I like that sort of... I forgot to ask you, do you have a drink near you? I, do you have, I, have, I have water. I'm currently drying yes. dandelion roots for tea outside. So at some point I will have tea. I have a bottle of Perrier. So usually we have tea and we're, you know, in a space together, but this is going to have to do. So I want to just, can you actually just inter, like right away, introduce yourself, say sort of just your name and kind of what you do, how you mm-hmm. would introduce yourself to maybe a potential client, let's say. Sure, yeah, my name's Keaton T.F. Evans. I'm a filmmaker uh, and what I do is take stories and try to find the interesting points and turn them into moving images. Okay, cool. So we met and I, I was thinking about this a little bit, but I don't know if I'm totally right about this. I think you originally reached out to me through Instagram, right? Yes, but do, do you do you know um, the band doing the dishes? Like, do you know anyone of that? So I know, yeah, I know Leo and... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, so this I is... I know right. Leo, yeah, yeah. I know Leo mm-hmm. and I know... Uh, you interviewed him, Ali, Ali? Yeah, Josh. Josh, my bad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Josh. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. uh, I know Josh a little bit because he worked at Hammer, I believe, for a while. And then also I've seen some of his uh, art shows. Like he was in a couple group collective art shows that we had mutual friends in. Mm-hmm. So do you want to just talk about... So I interviewed Josh. I met Josh through one of my mutual friends that I used to work with. So did you see like an Instagram post of his interview or did like sort of how it happened? I... Basically, I've been trying to find small projects that I can do um, with the free time that I have, which is here and there and limited and all over the place. Uh, And one of those things I wanted to do was speak to three different people in sort of three different tiers of podcasting, people who have smaller podcasts and medium size and larger size podcasts. Um, And so (laughs) I did, I think, what a lot of people end up doing when trying to find interview subjects or subjects for just about anything to do with a film or photography, whatever. 
I just put out an Instagram story post and uh, Leo responded back and said, yeah, there's this great podcast, 23T. You should go, you should go send the creator a message. Okay. Yeah. So I, I knew there was something to do with like Josh and those guys. I don't personally, I don't know Leo. I do follow Leo and I sort of know that like I've seen their band and whatever, but that makes sense. Now it's like coming back to me, but basically you sent me a message. You like told me what this project that you wanted to do was follow uh, three different, like you said, like the small, medium, large podcasters, different phases of this journey, but also just following their process. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to meet up. So we met up at, I used to live up at Young and St. Clair. So we met up at um, uh, Boxcar Social. Yeah, you sort place. of told me more about this project. And I was like super stumped just being like, is it really interesting to see <laughs> the process of um, a podcaster? Like, I was like, you want to just like come and sit in on like an interview or this yeah. or that. But you had this idea and you thought it was... Um, like an interesting I I think I think process is possibly one of the most interesting components of creating anything um Mm -hmm. I've always I've always said whether it's like somebody creating an excel spreadsheet that's just a bunch of like you know numbers that are going to be output to like a csv file or whether it's somebody creating like uh, a giant mural on the side of a building the process that goes into everything leading up to sort of not even the actual creation of it, but the thought process behind it, um, the bits and pieces, sort of the, the dirtier, less thought of aspects, the, the, the grittier stuff is what's really interesting. And I think something that I, when I was thinking about this idea of the podcasters and this short documentary, something that uh, came to light was that whether you know, you're recording this in your living room whether you're a podcaster who's doing it in, you know, a small studio space or you have, uh, you know, a dedicated distributor who's hooked you up with a professional music studio or recording studio to record in, it basically kind of all looks the same. Like you're all just sitting down, emailing people, trying mm-hmm. to get connections and things lined up. Um, it really, the, the only differences then really are, are uh more or less your your backing if you have financial backing or if Mm -hmm. uh how long you've been doing it yeah um and i know that so we'll talk about if that that project happened but i know that you did mention whenever we met up i want to say it was like around christmas time let's just Mm -hmm. say it was december but your uh wife was pregnant Mm -hmm. and you said that you were expecting the baby pretty soon and your son was born in february yeah yeah so uh my partner and i had been trying for a couple years uh finally after like a long process of going to fertility clinics and all that stuff uh everything came to fruition so absolutely pleased when we found out she was pregnant um and then it was kind of this thing where we were like okay Alex's family has this history of the babies coming late. They never come early. So like, great, we can probably say February 28th or a little later. And then all of a sudden on January 27th, Alex uh, woke me up at like two in the morning. and was like, okay, my water broke. And I was like, okay, are you sure? And she was like, yeah, I was like, cool. We had like just that night written down the list of things that we would need to bring to, um, well, we, we were expecting to go to uh, the birthing center um, near, uh, oh geez, uh, Dundas and I forget where, somewhere near Shooter Street over on the east on the east end here. But anyway, um, we got all our stuff together and just went to the hospital and met our midwife and 
then on February 1st, Haven was born five weeks early. And uh, wow. yeah, so we spent like a week living in the hospital and I had to put all my stuff on, on hold for, for a while, but for a mm-hmm. worthy cause. Yeah. So he was born at the end of January, almost February. Yeah, exactly. Um, so lucky for you and your partner that he was born January or February because of everything that happened now. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, it's, it, it was, uh, I had sort of been following since December stories of, um, a virus popping up in China and stuff. Um, just due to my work and I'm sure the same with yours, I spend a lot of time on the computer and, mm-hmm. uh, I I have a very long standing uh, paranoia to do with possibly apocalyptic events that okay. comes with reading a lot of apocalyptic sci-fi and, and my upbringing and stuff. And so I'm always kind of keeping abreast of those things out of my own interest. And I mean, when it kind of all started to happen, it, it was a little wild to be like, okay, now this is the world that we live in. This is the new normal. And I mean, we got super lucky because we were just sort of on the leading edge of everything kicking in. Cause now if you are going to give birth in a hospital, you can't have your partner there in a lot yes. of cases. They can't be yes. in the hospital with you. And oh my goodness, I could not imagine not having been there for Alex. Like it, it really, it hurts my heart to think about that having been. Yeah. yeah. You're super lucky. Lucky. Like we, I, my brother's fiance's sister had um, a preemie, think he was two and a half months premature she's yeah so and during this Mm -hmm. and she had like a lot of complications she's still in the hospital she's doing better and just it's just terrible like no one can be there for her but especially Mm -hmm. when things go wrong it's such a tough thing so but anyways like really awesome for you baby's doing well yeah the baby's doing well haven's doing great he's uh he's coming up on four months now I guess and so we're kind of in this developmental leap like I'm super tired right now because he's he's hit this new developmental leap where like maybe six weeks ago he figured out how to really make noise with his throat right and the way Mm. that you speak or sing or whatever is you make a noise with your throat your tongue kind of undulates and changes the sound and your lips have to do with that as well how wide your mouth is so for him he learned how to make the noise in his throat and then a couple weeks later learned how to use his tongue and now he's just figuring out how to move his mouth to change the sound. So he loves the sound of his own voice. And his <laughs> brain is just expanding like crazy. So all he wants to do is, is talk and make noise. So he's also coming up to the sleep regression point at about four months where babies kind of forget all the learnings about how they've learned to sleep and have to start learning again. So yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's doing great. He's hitting all the benchmarks. His weight is perfect. The way that he's responding to us is amazing. And yeah, I just, I'm like crazy mad in love with him. Yeah. Awesome. So I kind of want to just, I'm going to give you like a few questions, but yeah. there's a few obvious answers here as to why this project that we talked about and met up for didn't sort of happen, let's say. Uh, yeah. One obvious thing is you had a baby. Another mm-hmm. obvious thing is COVID. But yeah. where in your, um, sort of your own process, do you think like, okay, you know what, this project isn't something that I really need to focus on right now. Is it when maybe um, work comes along that is going to pay you well, or maybe you sort of lose the energy for it? Or what sort of things come into play when you're like, I'm going to put this project on hold, or I'm going to scratch this completely? Or like, where is your mind at with that? 
I'd say everything that you just mentioned, all those are certainly factors in my decision-making process for the documentary that I wanted to do about you and the two other podcasters. Um, really, it had, like you said, to do with Haven and COVID. Um, but often when I have those side projects, there's something that I'm doing when I have a free hour. Um, or, you know, in the case of like, if I were to come over and film and hang out with you, it would be like, I know I have like a three hour chunk here and a one hour chunk there. And um, the reason that I can't pursue those right now, again, obviously I have a new kid and COVID. Um, but right now I'm wanting to really focus my time in on doing uh, tabletop product work. I think there's going to be a massive need for uh, brands to be advertising their products uh, outside of like standard product photography lines and need um, really interesting video content for them. So I would say right now it has to do with more of a shift in focus. And quite often that is the case. It's, it's not even that I lack the energy. Like I have a book full of ideas that I always want to pursue and I still want to, you know, do this documentary about the podcasts, but Right now, it has to do with um, needing to have my focus somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I want to say one thing, and then I want to kind of go back to this topic. But you brought up this, you called it a tabletop ad? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's sort of how uh, it's described by a lot of people. Like the process of actually making it is literally like you have a table, you put the stuff down, you make it look interesting, and you film it. Mm -hmm. So would an example be of ones that you posted recently? Sorry, I'm just on Instagram here if I'm not totally. looking at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the sauna yeah sona? sona and hugo sona. by, by yes. lalo yeah so those are both your latest work you did that in may so just like yep. last week or a couple weeks ago yep just and those are examples ago. right those are examples so those are mm -hmm. uh that's a sex toy brand um lalo basically takes the concept of uh you know the standard sex toy everybody imagines a dildo or a vibrator or a butt plug or whatever to have these very specific looks. And Lalo said, listen, we can actually design those to look like super pretty and the kind of thing that you'd want to put on the shelf right next to, you know, your flowers, your records, whatever, um, and display. Uh, often I don't think people do that. Um, but that was, that was the focus of that shoot specifically was to be like, these products are just beautiful. They're just really well designed. And I'm not sure you need to see anything other than a really well designed product in that video. Mm -hmm. So these are obviously projects where people are paying for you. This is an ad. These are companies. So, so people, mm -hmm. Go ahead. sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So for these, actually, these are spec ads right now because the tabletop product stuff is a new focus of mine. So these are done as a speculative thing, right? They only take, okay. like, basically what you uh, see in those videos is only maybe three or four hours of shooting and then I did a lot of color correction on those. I'm learning uh, some new color correction software. So it's also a chance for me to play around with some new stuff. Um, but right now what I'm doing is, is completely spec ad based. Basically I, I have nothing as far as product stuff goes on my reel. Um, mm -hmm. I have a lot of narrative stuff, music video stuff, documentary stuff. Um, but because I see this upcoming need for more product videos, um, considering lots more people are going to be shopping on the internet and, you know, being at home a lot more. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, I need to build up that part of my reel. I gotcha. Okay. Um, and just another question to go back to what we were talking about. When you were saying like you have so many ideas and you have so many things that you jot down, you have notes of, is most of this like you're saying you have these ideas where you're like, this is going to be super popular or this is going to be needed. And you, you sort of are like, um, like one step ahead 
but also is a lot of these things that you're doing just to keep building your demo reel or mm. I know this is a lot, sorry. Or is it just so that you keep working so that you keep that momentum going and that you keep building your craft? Sure. I think, I think it's all those things. Certainly when I started shooting uh, that spec ad for Lalo, um, I really just wanted to play around with a couple lighting setups I had in my head uh, and I can have them in my head. I can, you know, do use previs software. I can um, draw them out, storyboard them out, but I really won't know exactly how that light hits that uh, jar with the water in it, for example, until I actually set it up. So in part, it's to stay fresh. Um, really though, it's that I have a creative drive that like knows no ends. Um, I constantly have to be making things. It's, uh, it's therapy for me. It's, um, it's something to keep my brain occupied. It's something that keeps me fresh, like you were saying. Uh, so I think as much of there, is, as much of it, there's there's a lot of it that is a drive to make sure that I'm you know at the top or catching that next wave as it comes. There's also just a need to be creative. Mm -hmm. There was a specific question that I wanted to ask you before we started recording. I mentioned that Keaton has a lot of content and usually <laughs> I don't make any notes, but because um, I was um, like, so, so much like endless. So I do want to just Instagram mention since like day one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried to, I was like, there's like, you have like 1600 posts and I was like, oh, how yeah. far back can I go? And I went far back enough that you didn't have a beard. So I got oh, yeah. pretty, pretty far back. But, um, the many versions just, of Keaton, you've seen yes, them. Years. So mm -hmm. there is, I just want to mention to people the website because there's a, just a lot of good information that you have on here that I learned a lot from. So it's K-E-A-T-O-N, so your first name, mm -hmm. uh, tfevans.ca. So keatontfevans.ca. Yep. Uh, really well-built website, first of all. It was, I was like, okay, well, I have a lot of information here. Thank so you. I was on there. I watched your demo reel. Mm -hmm. The thing I wanted to ask about the demo reel, because um, I'm not a, you know, I, I've made one short film. I don't know if I ever mentioned that to you. Yeah, but, that's right. I forgot about mm -hmm. that. What was, yeah. what was the name of that again? Ghosted. Right, 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 right. So yeah, it's yeah. just about like dating life in the city. Uh -huh. My first thing, I did it uh, in one day under a thousand dollars. Yep. And that's I just like... I just needed to do something and it was good, but I wouldn't, I'm not like a filmmaker or a director or anything like that. So my uh, knowledge of a demo reel leans more towards an acting demo reel. Mm -hmm. And it's just like yours, except the one thing that I noticed about yours is that you have music playing throughout without mm -hmm. any, uh, there's no, you know, people aren't speaking in it. So everything mm -hmm. else is muted. So my, instant thought is, well, that's so that you focus on the visuals and not totally. what's being said. But I just want to ask you if that's true. So that, that is the case, most definitely. I think uh, it really depends on the kind of reel, right? I'd say if somebody who's a cinematographer or a director has a lot of work that is, for example, focused on um, you know, doing look books for fashion companies or something, then you're probably never going to have any sound up. You're not going to have any sound going on on screen as far as uh, dialogue goes. If you have somebody whose work is entirely narrative, I've seen some really great versions of demo reels that start off with like, you know, a 20 second long, super intense scene that sort of sets the tone for the rest of the demo reel. Um, for me, that's never really been my focus. Like I'm not, 
the, the dialogue is not something that I need to include in a, in a demo reel. I'm such a visually driven person that um, I need to know that the only thing that people are focusing on is the visuals. Mm -hmm. And yours specifically too, hopefully this, you didn't answer this question, but do you try and tell a story within the other stories that are going on? Because to me, like you're mm. mentioning tone, to me when I watched that demo reel, you had to pick one song for all these clips that weren't really related, but you somehow related them together. Mm. So there was like a tone or a vibe or like an energy. Mine, just as someone who's like a regular person watching it, is like, oh, that was a really wholesome video. Like, <laughs> I saw a wedding, I Thank saw you. some trees. Like, is like, did you go for a specific, I guess, tone or energy with the demo reel that's on your website? Certainly. I think what you're describing has a lot to do with the editing process. And first and foremost, I'm not an editor by trade. I have edited a whole lot of different projects for outside clients, uh, as well as my own stuff. I absolutely love editing. I started editing when I was like a kid. Like I, I sang in an underwear commercial when I was a kid. I wasn't on screen. I like sang like two lines. And my parents said, do you want the paycheck from that to like go to a college fund or something? Or what do you want to do with it? And I was like, wow, it'd be cool if the family had a computer. And this was like the 90s. So my dad got like a totally kitted out computer that could do some video editing. And I think the next year I got... Uh, some sort of like high eight camera like even before mini dv and learned how to upload that footage i'd already been shooting on like old 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 tapes and like editing with two vhs tapes um so i've always been an editor since i can remember basically and to me the job of an editor again that it changes from uh role to role what kind of film you're working on um, it also depends on like if you're, you know, uh, an assistant editor or not. You all have different kind of roles and jobs. But for me, the job of an editor is really to, to set a tone. So certainly what I was focusing on is a tone as well as something that describes uh, my visual choices. Like, you know, why I chose to shot, shoot um, the, that wedding, uh, the two people signing their marriage license, like through the tree, for example, versus you know, um, on a wider lens from further away or on a, you know, wider lens from closer up. Something that really says to people like, this is the tone and this is what Keaton is aiming for. So you're totally correct. I think mm -hmm. um, finding the tone happens a lot in the editing process. And yeah, that demo reel. Thank you very much for saying that. That's very nice. I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to know like the intention behind these choices that you're making mm. as someone who's focusing on visuals rather than an actor who's just like, picking clips that are their, they think are their best work. Yeah. They're like, this is, this is showing my best acting right here. And that's the demo reel. Mm -hmm. Like you don't really focus on, well, sorry, there's a, like a fruit fly. You don't really focus <laughs> on like if the lighting was like spectacular. Sure. Um, but your acting was shitty. Um, yeah. But actually with that question, because oftentimes what I hear, I do YouTube a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I've, seen, I've seen some of that stuff. And it, it's fun. And I, I really struggle with editing. I don't enjoy that process at all. Um, I do enjoy it more when it's video, but when I do this like audio editing, for example, mm -hmm. it's just, um, I don't have enough practice that I just sort of end up giving up and being like, oh, I like the raw cut, totally. which I think is just like an excuse for myself for being lazy. But anyway, something that or, I hear- Or it's about, a creative mm -hmm. choice, or it's a creative <laughs> choice, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, but something that I always hear is that like lighting is super, super important. 
And I don't know if that is like everyone's first thing. So the question that I wanted to ask you, if, if you could have one, mm-hmm. and it was either an amazing set or <laughs> perfect lighting, it doesn't exist, but you know, amazing lighting, which would you choose personally? Oh, lighting, 100% mm-hmm. lighting. I don't even have to think about that. Um, yeah. The uh, lighting is a language within itself. And that's not to say that something like set design or um, location scouting or location management is not an art within itself because it certainly is. But I'm also like, I believe everything's an art form from the way that somebody walks to the way that they paint their nails. It's all an art form. Mm-hmm. Um, but lighting is a language within itself and can communicate just as much and maybe I'm biased, but if not more than a good set. And lighting is the kind of thing that you can bring to the most boring white room, set up two or three lights or even one if you know what you're doing and make a super boring room look very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I want people to go to your website and they'll learn from the same thing that I learned that you've been doing this and you mentioned it since you were like a child, seven yeah. years old. Yeah. Um, and I watched some of the videos that you have. Uh, I'm <laughs> oh, guessing. No. No. Oh, sorry. Okay. I'll, I'll only bring it up. Quickly no, no, no. Can... It's fine. It's totally okay. fine. It's totally fine. They're so just, you they're... have it. You have it on there. So I do. I but... do. People, people should go watch it. Just uh, <laughs> it's always a little embarrassing to go back to the old stuff. <laughs> I'm guessing it's you and your friends when you're like in high school or something. You're totally. doing. You're like a. Uh, they're skateboarding videos. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this is like, like you're saying though, you're a very creative person and it's just something that you need to do, which mm-hmm. is very clear from going back to, you go from 2000 and I don't know, I want to say nine to 2019 mm-hmm. and there are even older videos. So you can watch anything from the ad that we were talking about from last week to you and your buddies skateboarding and throwing bottles at each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, that video. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, cool. I remember that now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but were you like, I just kind of want to go into your background because I like to cover sure. this as well. Like, did you grow up in Toronto and mm-hmm. were you that, because I knew guys like this in high school that they were that guy that always mm-hmm. had a video camera or like a, 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 any kind of camera were always mm-hmm. taking videos of their friends or always finding a way to like make little cuts. Was that like you basically as a kid? Yeah, I'd definitely say so mm-hmm. from this, this, I'd say, uh, I have the same sort of, I am from Toronto, grew up in North York, like Shepherd and Don Mills area, right around Fairview mall. Um, and I, I, I found very early on that there was a connection between skateboarding and videos, like the way that, um, me like a suburban kid, would interact with the skateboarding community, especially at a young age, was by watching videos, right? And those videos would tell me, in a way, uh, for better or for worse, what I was supposed to be doing, how I was supposed to be dressing, who I should be listening to if I want to be a skateboarder, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took it upon myself very early on to like basically figure out how to use my family's camcorder that they were using to like film Christmas and whatever. And I think at like maybe age eight, my friends would come over, uh, even I started skateboarding when I was seven. And by the time I was eight, my friends would come over and we'd spend an hour like writing a little script. Like we, you know, maybe they would have come over on the weekend and we watched James Bond or something that just came out. Um, and we'd be like, oh, we want to make a James Bond movie. So we'd sit and write a little script and then like, you know, spend another hour making a really funny honestly pretty good considering we were just like eight years old but like as well crappy looking back but in a fun way um little james bond movies and stuff and then 
it got to a point where I was skateboarding so often. Those were my only friends. And again, skateboard videos came back into my life and it was like, I can do that. Like, I want to make that. I'm going to give it a try. Mm -hmm. There's a huge, uh, like culture around skateboarding and also like Supreme and Palace and all of those brands that are, it's a, it's literally like you're saying being, being a skateboarder is not just riding a skateboard. It literally is the clothes that you wear and all these other things that you're mentioning. Are you into like skateboard fashion or do you? So this is the funny thing is I feel like a lot of people, not me actually, um, Mm -hmm. because I have some thoughts on this, but a lot of people would hear skateboard fashion and be like, Pasha, that doesn't exist. (laughs) Skateboarding is outside of the mainstream. There's no way that it has a set fashion. It's like, can I swear? Is that cool? Like (laughs) bullshit. Skateboarding has a fashion and it's had a fashion since early on. Like Mm -hmm. skateboarding is a subset of uh, a bunch of different, you know, major forms of popular culture, visual media. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's always going to be things that define how a certain subset of people dress or look or whatever right um and so i definitely am into that currently the the look of like you know uh 18 19 20 year old people that like street style wear is not not where i'm at fashion is a large part of my life i i take into account how i look every single day it's something that i have fun with um Mm -hmm. but for me uh the current sort of streetwear fashion is super cool it's just not just not my vibe but certainly Mm -hmm. like skateboarding and fashion go together like bread and butter like no doubt about it totally um so you knew that this was sort of what you're going to be doing from a very early age but even Mm -hmm. so not everyone takes the i guess formal educational route with an arts so you decided i think you went to multiple schools but you decided to go to school for film right Mm. decided is a strong word I think my parents really wanted me to go to post-secondary school. They had gone to post-secondary school. My mom um, went into training to be a nurse. My dad, they were both musicians before this. My dad um, became an optometrist. uh, And so post-secondary schooling, especially coming from my dad's background of Macedonian immigrants, my mom's background of like farmers and fishers, the chance to go to post-secondary school is this absolutely amazing thing. And I didn't want to let my parents down they were offering to pay for it. And I said, great, I will go to post-secondary school. That sounds like a lovely option. Um, (laughs) I had wanted to drop out of high school since I was 15 or 16. I saw very Mm. little point in it. I wanted to go and start working uh, immediately. Like the second that I found out that somebody would pay me to make a sponsor me video for them or something, you know, like I wanted to go and do that. Um, And so the option to go to post-secondary school was presented and with, I'd say, a fair bit of arguments back and forth, I decided to go. And uh, I'm, I'm all the better for it, quite honestly. I, I, I personally, uh, and I shouldn't say this too loud because my son is sitting upstairs, but school is mm. bullshit. Mm. <laughs> um, I'm not the biggest fan of having a formal education in something like uh, the arts. That's just true to me, though. I think that a lot of people benefit from it. I benefited from it, just not in the ways that I think uh, my college would have expected me to. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I see. So if you could, I guess, I mean, I don't want to say like, we don't need to get super philosophical or anything like that, but if you could, (laughs) if you could go back and I understand the whole immigrant parents thing, I'm very similar situation. You said Macedonia, my parents are immigrants from Bosnia. So Mm. former Yugoslavia, 
And yeah. my parents never went to university. My mom went to college when she was in her 40s because BlackBerry went under. She worked there for 10 oh, years. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, so she decided to go to college and now she's a medical lab tech. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I get it. It was, I actually even took a year off after high school because my parents wouldn't let me apply to theater school. Wow. But they wanted me to go to post-secondary. So I basically put my foot down and I was like, well, I'm not going unless I go for theater. Yeah. yeah. So they for didn't really theater. believe me. And my dad kind of thought up until like a week before I had gotten into Laurier for communications. I'm from mm-hmm. Waterloo. So and mm-hmm. my, I remember still crying and my mom applying for my programs <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. in Waterloo uh-huh. and I was just crying behind her. And yeah. then up until a week before I was supposed to go, my dad thought I was going. And I was like, you know, mm-hmm. I had to register for my classes. <laughs> like this is not how this works. So I took that year off and I just worked in a movie theater. And then obviously cool. at the end of it, your parents are just like, I just want you to go to school and do something. I don't just care do what something. you take. Yeah. Totally. So I went and did, you know, theater school. And it, to me, it's something that I do regret. Mm. If I, if I Why could go that? back, it, I, I think the university that I chose because I mean, I say this all the time on this podcast, but there was multiple strikes. Um, I had to, so that school I auditioned to get in, but you have to audition. I'm sorry if people are hearing this for the millionth time and I have (laughs) to audition again in the second year. I didn't get in and I do what a lot of people do is they feel trapped. I was already in that school. I was already in that program and I just finished those four years Mm-hmm. So, um, you just kind of squirm until you can you, get out of it. You just, and it was painful and I, I, re, and I regret it and I wish I would have just left and did what I wanted to do and done it sooner, um, and been happy. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the end of the day, I guess I have a BA in theater studies. Yeah. And like, I, mean, I have, I have a, uh, I, one of my professors who is, I call him my film dad. He calls me his film son. Uh, he was he was there for me through a lot of hard times in my life. Very nice man. When mm-hmm. I uh, when I got my diploma or what do they call it? It's not even a diploma, right? Because it's like a college. Uh, I forget what they call it. Something something other than that. Um, certificate. Oh, certificate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he said to me, uh, "Okay, you walked off stage. I shook your hand. You got the fish wrap." And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like. In the film industry, man, this piece of paper is worth as much as the uh, paper that they wrap the fish in at the at the fishmongers. Like that's that's it. I have never mm-hmm. once been asked. Maybe somebody asked me what school did you go to to see if I knew someone, but mm-hmm. nobody in the film industry has ever said, "Oh, you went to school for this amount of time. Great, that sets you ahead of everybody else." Like, no, you you go to film school, you start at the bottom. Doesn't doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So again, just back to the question of if you could go back, would you have done the same thing? Mm. I think, I think I would have done it differently. I think I definitely think I would have. Um, it would have been a lot harder uh, to break into the industry having not gone to film school, if only for the fact that I made some contacts. My one of my professors vouched for me to become a permit in the union um, in local eight seven three. Uh, or eight three seven. I, I have, honestly have not used my permit status since the day I got it because <laughs> I was working on freelance commercial work. Um, but what I would have done differently, I think, would have been 
if I had to go back and redo it, would be to keep following the track I was on, keep making um, small skateboard videos, uh, and keep making uh, you know content that eventually would have made its way into sort of the more corporate world, and then eventually got on set and uh, you know started doing the backbreaking labor that is a production assistant's work and. I probably would have followed the same path. There was some stuff in there, you know, like around that time, my dad passed away. And so there was a lot of stuff that was thrown up into the air. But I mean, I remember right around the time that I was graduating, my grandpa on my mom's side called me. My dad's side, uh, you know, his mom and dad, when they came over from Macedonia, they started, uh, my dad became an optometrist, started the first uh, optometry practice in Cabbage Town at the time that serviced mainly Macedonian immigrants. He uh, made his money by creating some of the mathematics behind the bifocal contact lens, patented that, and was basically like, my son has to become an optometrist, but I want him to be able to focus on working as a musician as well, which was my dad's passion. And my mom's side of the family was straight up like, no, like you're either a nurse, you're a fisherman, you're a farmer, and that's, that's it. So when I was close to graduation, my grandpa on my mom's side, Grandpa Marvin called me and said, and I'm going to butcher the accent here because he has a thick East Coast accent that's very hard to do. But he said, Keaton, my boy, uh, you should just drop out of that school. I don't know why you're going to that film school. It makes no sense. And I was like, well, what should I do, Grandpa Martin? And he was like, do what I did. Go be a welder on the St. Lawrence Seaway. And I was like, I don't think they need welders on the St. Lawrence Seaway right now. Like, it's, it's built, dude. Like, you know. And he was like, well, go weld tanks. And I was like, there's, I don't know. What? Like, what's going on mm. here, Grandpa Marvin? And he was like, next door, listen, next door, our neighbor is an RCMP officer. She'll get you into the RCMP. And I was like, okay, Grandpa Marvin. <laughs> okay. So I think, I think I would have done a lot of things differently, but it would have always been about balancing other people's expectations against my own. Mm. Yeah. Um, that's, I like what you said just there. And it's crazy how... Are you like, do you believe in sort of like everyone has their own path, but you kind of end up in the same, like, do you think that if you had made all these other choices that you sort of would have ended up in the same place or that your life would be completely different? It's funny you mentioned that. Last night I was reading for like the millionth time, one of my favorite series, uh, the Sandman series, graphic novel series. And uh, book four, starts in uh, Destiny's garden and Destiny is bound by Destiny, right? Like he is ordained from the beginning of time to hold this book and walk through this garden. And this book says, you know, time began and then this person did this and this person did this and this flower grew and Destiny knows everything. And this book says, no matter the path that you take, um, when you look back, it's going to look like one straight path, but in reality, you've made a thousand little choices that led you there on a thousand different paths. So mm -hmm. I think I probably would have ended up in roughly the same place. I think maybe a little sooner, but uh, everything kind of looks, uh, everything kind of looks sweeter. Everything kind of looks better with, you know, the member berries looking back and being like, being like, oh, if I'd done that, things could have been so much better. Right. Like, yeah. and um, I don't, I, I know I probably would have ended up in the same place maybe a little sooner, but I, I, I'm, there's no way to be sure of that. Mm -hmm. Are you pretty like content where you're at now in terms uh, of your career? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a malcontent in everything that I do. I, I'm, mm. <laughs> um, 
the the only few things that that I'm content about are you know having a, a beautiful son, a beautiful partner, um, and some plants to to play around with. That's about the only things that <laughs> that I'm content with. Everything yeah. else in life, my my general outlook on life is that um, you know everything sucks, but like sometimes you get to put on some nice clothes and talk to some nice people. Like that's that's sort of it, right? Um, so. I think there's a lot of things that I'm content with in my career. I know lots of cool people. Uh, I'm getting to work on some cool stuff. And certainly right now with uh, us being in the midst of a pandemic and 95% of the film industry not having any work, no matter you know, whether you're a small time person or a big time, like you know, tier, uh, tier B union uh, producer working on NBC shows in the city, um, you you just don't have work. So I'm I'm finding myself actually weirdly content with the bit of time that I have. Like I put Haven down, Alex and I eat dinner, she goes to sleep, and I spend three or four hours uh working on this spec ad stuff right now. Um mm-hmm. and and reading graphic novels. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of stuff to be content about. And I think I have to check in with myself from time to time and remind myself that. Mm-hmm. I wanna just read this. Um so this is on your website again, 2018 to 2019. So during this time, I was working a smattering of different jobs and trying to decide if I want to make another go at producing and directing videos. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to read that part because it seems like you had a moment where you didn't want to be doing that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I got really sort of fed up with the film industry, not film as a medium, not uh, video content as a medium, um, not the artistry of it. The industry itself is a, is a weird, scary place run by a lot of people who um, have some pretty traditionalist ideas about what it means to work in the film industry. And a lot of the time, uh, those ideas trace back to you know concepts that were uh, put in place 100, 110 years ago by people um, who, uh, you know, we're just in a different place, in a different context, in a different time. And now uh, we're still using a lot of these uh, sort of traditional ideas to make our films, to operate on set. Um, And, you know, even when it comes down to how people are paid out, for example, like we're still using some real old methodologies. So I found myself working, uh, oh geez, you know, like five, six days a week, doing 14, 15 hour days, just just doing the like the you know hashtag hustle hard thing and i was like i'm not i'm not seeing much from this like i'm i'm able to make my rent i'm able to you know uh go out and meet people i'm able to go to these networking events after a little while it all felt kind of disingenuous and felt like it wasn't representative of who i was and i realized that i want to make you know, really impactful films. And um, I had to take a step back and say, what I'm doing right now is not making an impact, is not, um, is not hitting the points that I need it to hit. So I took some time to work a bunch of other jobs, drove uh, a, a moving van, helping real estate agents like set up houses and stuff and tearing them down. Um, drove a van delivering produce, answered phones for Shopify for a while. My partner got a job out in Nova Scotia for a bit, working for uh, uh, as a postdoc at St. Francis Xavier University. And there I organized some art 
or one art festival, um, helped do some fundraising for a local uh, artist organization there. I just needed time to sort of expand my horizons and see, uh, see really what the world outside of working in the film industry was. Because, man, is, is it ever this sort of dreamland meets nightmarish horrorscape? Because you're like, you're on set for 15 hours, people are just giving you like awesome food and everybody's, you know, beautiful and talkative and there's always something to be done. Um, but I needed to hit pause for a while. And that was sort of when I found out that what I wanted to be doing was maybe a little over here, a little to the side of where I actually was. Mm-hmm. I like that you mentioned the hustle hard thing. And <laughs> I don't remember exactly what it was that I read, but it was it was along those lines where we're constantly fed that we have to be the hardest working. We have to get up at 5 a.m. and work out and then go to our job and then have our side hustle but also yeah. like have the best skincare routine. And <laughs> in, in the meantime, and she, yeah. this post was just saying like, where is like the relaxation? Like where is uh-huh. the part where we decompress and which is actually fueling us to be able to do all these things. But I yeah. like how you were like, um, I was, you were sort of in this realm of like, I have to work like so hard and I have to work these 15 hour days and then it's going to get me to like where I want to be, whatever that means. And then at the end of the day, you're like, is this just like a lie? Like I'm just being used. <laughs> yeah. I'm just being used. Uh-huh. What it's, do you that think? That was pretty like, much it. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty much it. It was like mm-hmm. uh, I loved what I did. Like honestly, one of the coolest things in the world to me still to this day is showing up at like William F. White's or something and like walking through their warehouse and just seeing like, oh, you have like three thousand, uh, you know, uh, shorty C stands and like three thousand you know junior rollers and like just to like be in these massive warehouses picking up gear even as a production assistant was amazing or to be spending time in an office as a production manager like just working with people who um wanted to it's just like the strangest thing to reflect on it actually to be like we are so stoked to make this national post campaign ad like we are going to give like everything we have for two weeks to prep this for the national post because like fuck yeah this is really what we want to be doing and no, uh, no bad blood towards the people that I worked with at that time. It just, it wasn't for me. And I definitely felt used at times, certainly. Um, especially when you're in the lower ranks, you're expected in the film industry. There's a lot of expectations uh, from a lot of the people, maybe, you know, 45, 50 plus, And I'm definitely putting an age on it because that was my experience of it, who say it was really hard for me to come up. I had to do all this shit work and be asked to do really terrible things. Um, Not really terrible things, but like, you know, people ask you to Mm -hmm. do dumb shit so that they can make fun of you. Like go get me a dingleberry from the warehouse. And meanwhile, there's no such thing as a dingleberry or like executive producer Mm -hmm. was like, will you go buy me tampons? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like that sucks. You don't have tampons in the office. Like, I'm sorry. And she was like, fuck, I was trying to like make you feel weird. And I was like, no, you need tampons. Like I'm going to go get them. Um, so there are all these people who say, you know, I had it really shitty, so you have to have it really shitty for you to make it to the top. And that's mm-hmm. bullshit. And that yeah. is not true for everyone in the film industry. There's tons of great, great people that I've worked with. But more often than not, the people that make it to the top are the aggressive people who want to, um, who want to uh, push everybody aside and make it to the top. And, and they end up hurting people along the way. So mm-hmm. I felt used. I felt like it wasn't for me. Yeah. 
Um, something else that I talk about with a lot of so many people in the arts, if it's a makeup artist or if it's a photographer or whatever, is that you, there, there's this weird expectation from outside people that think like they devalue you and your service mm -hmm. because they're like, well, this you're pursuing this as like your passion. This is your <laughs> dream. And I'll, if you tell people that you like, for example, let's talk a, about an actor again. Mm -hmm. If somebody asked me to be in a movie with these, whatever, like freaking, let's say Leonardo DiCaprio, I would do that for free, obviously. Sure. Anybody yeah. would. But yeah. then there's also this weird thing of like, it's still a job. Like every, every art is still a job. But for some reason, because you like it, or it's your dream, or it's your passion, or you're so excited to be there, you're so excited to be on set, or whatever, you show joy. All yeah. of a sudden, it's like devalued. Do you do you have that same experience? Totally. I think some of my first times on set, I was just like, just so blown away to be there. It was just mm -hmm. the coolest thing ever. And it's the same sort of feeling like that National Post campaign thing that I mentioned. Like, it's the same sort of feeling like to have so many people rallying around this one creative idea and to have all these departments, 30, 40, 50 plus people that all have to hit their mark uh, exactly at the same time for something to happen and in exactly the right way more or less for something to happen is super exciting and i found often i'd show joy uh, and you know just these like salty old grips would be like well you just haven't had ribs seven days in a row on set and i'm like dude somebody's at the craft truck making you barbecue ribs like that's fucking rad like that's super mm -hmm. cool i don't know how you don't find that cool um so quite often people would see that I was passionate and young and really wanted to be doing these things and of course be getting paid for them. Like, yeah, totally. And they would either choose to take advantage of that because I'm a very, I'm a very gullible, like nice person. <laughs> um, so people, people find that and take advantage of that sometimes, but um, they'd see that and be like, well, you just, you're just not jaded enough yet. And it's like, no, I don't need to be jaded because guess what? When I get, to a point where I can actually make some sort of systemic change to the industry that I work in. I don't want people to suffer on their way up like you did. Mm -hmm. That sucks. And I have compassion for the fact that, you know, when you were, and this is a true story, I won't mention names, but this producer I worked with the very first time was like, well, I remember when I was driving cube trucks for commercials, I had a set of pants that I would wear. And those pants had burn holes all in them. And I was like, well, why did your pants have burn holes all that? Like you could just patch them or get new pants. And he was like, well, they would make me work such long hours and I didn't want to fall asleep driving the truck and, you know, possibly crash and die. So I would light a cigarette in one hand, have my hand on the wheel in the other and, if, and put my hand down on my thigh. And if I fell asleep, the cigarette would fall into my thigh and burn me and wake me up. And I was like, you shouldn't have to do that. You, that should not just be a compulsory part of your job. And that guy's amazing. He's gone on, honestly, to make a whole lot of very cool commercials. Um, but that, that's the story that I encounter again and again, is you're not jaded enough. You haven't been hurt enough to make it. And bullshit, people get into this, whether you're a grip, an electric, whatever, an actor, um, a crafty, you get into it because you're interested in the process. You're interested in movies. You're interested and passionate about this thing. And the fact that... Um, much of the industry, as well as just a lot of different industries, whether it's in a creative field or not, say, you know, you kind of have to have this joy, this passion burned out of you before you can make it somewhere is, is just a relic of the past and needs to be forgotten about.
Mm-hmm. Well, we are at the end of our episode. Uh, cool. There's a lot of things that I didn't mention, but I feel like you have a lot of stories. We could have talked for a lot longer. <laughs> um, I didn't even mention that you also have a band. I believe it's you and your partner. Yes, social furniture. Yes. Do you want to just quickly? I mean, I like to usually end off, but I think you had a re- lot of really nice moments, so I don't need you to recap them. But just mention your band at the end. Yeah, so uh, my partner and I play in a band called Social Furniture, and we play the kind of folk music that uh, when you have a party and it goes on a little too late and you walk into the kitchen and people are playing acoustic guitar, we're the good version of that. <laughs> <laughs> how long have the two of you been doing that for um that's actually how we started dating we started playing music Mm -hmm. together years and years ago and uh Mm -hmm. then our you know our practice sessions turned into makeout sessions and now we're married and we have a kid (laughs) (laughs) what a perfect love story i i very sweet i wouldn't i would i can't imagine myself with anybody else or making music with anybody else so yeah thank you for saying that Um, like I said, this was a really nice conversation. I want to say thank you again for agreeing to do this with me. I know you have a lot of other things that you could be doing, but I appreciate everything that you shared. You obviously have, you know, been doing this for a long time. You have a lot of stories, you have a lot of experience. So it's really nice for anyone that's listening to hear this and hear someone who's literally been through it and still going through it and in a place in their life where they can reflect and say things like, this shouldn't be this way, this should be, you know, and the changes mm-hmm. that you would make and the path that other people can follow. Of course, everyone makes their own decisions. Mm-hmm. But if someone listens and is like, man, I've been thinking about for six months, I really don't want to apply for universities. And all these people are saying, you can do this without spending $25,000. Because like for me, it was really great of your parents that they were like, we're going to pay for this. Mm-hmm. I'm still in, you know, $23,000 in debt yep. from a school that I did not enjoy. And that weighs on me where I'm like, you know, it, it, I made my decisions and I learned a lot about life, but also mm-hmm. it's like, if I could go back and imagine what I could create with those $23,000, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, totally. Mm-hmm. So every, for, everybody's got a, got a place of privilege that they come from. Mine was, mm-hmm. was getting school for free and uh, to not have that debt hanging over my head is something that I'm very thankful for. And mm-hmm. I can't imagine what it's like otherwise, because <laughs> that's been my experience. Yeah. It's not so bad, but I'm just saying like for, yeah, there's, this might help people be like, you know, even you and I had the exact same thought process where we're like, I don't want to disappoint my immigrant parents mm-hmm. and yeah, sure. I'll go if that's really what you want me to do and I'll make the best of it, but you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that and you can take any path and you're going to be okay. So yes. in the end, everybody's mm-hmm. going to be okay. And even yeah. your, even your Bubba and Dedo from Macedonia might be proud of you someday. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Lord. Um, I just want to say too, if you guys made it to the end of the episode, please either please check out also uh keaton's website like i said i had a really good time on there um and he has an instagram account i think it's the same right at keaton tf evans uh at keaton tfe e okay um but leave either a comment on itunes or whatever else you guys use i use itunes so i know there's spotify and there's so many um or you can follow 
the YouTube account or whatever. I want to keep making these, uh, keep having these conversations even in quarantine. Um, but yeah. And like, like we're saying, you can get through anything. We're going to get through COVID. Yeah, we are. These last couple of days have been super positive. And I, like I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, seeing it from nobody on the streets mm-hmm. to people are enjoying their summer day. It's actually as scary as it is. It's also a really nice feeling that, you know, that like the world has never ended. Yes. So that's a really nice feeling to have that. This isn't going to be it. The world is not ended. This is this is yeah. not going to be it. We still have lots of trials and tribulations ahead, and so we got to stay strong and make sure that we can take those next ones on. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, I will talk to you again soon. Bye bye. It's psychological hustle. I gotta battle these comments like the king and the muscle. They keep on bursting my bubble now. Every morning when I wake up, on me in the huddle. So batter up, batter up. You know I'm hitting the double. You know I'm running the. I know I got it, won't brace it Like a girl without a top Just kind of sitting on your lap Boy, what you do? Girl, I rap, I rap nasty Maybe one day I'll say chase to a paparazzi It's psychological hustle Be prepared for anything and everything It'll tear you down, it'll tear you down It's psychological hustle Psychological hustle Psychological